Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are, whether that's in Washington DC, Berlin or Hong Kong. And if you're a new listener to the show, I wanted to give you a special welcome to the podcast and I wanted to thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Becky from 23.co. We met at FinCon in Washington DC earlier this year, and it was definitely a fun encounter. Becky is not only young, energetic and driven, as you will discover, but she also has great lessons in store for any one of us in our early 20s, in our mid to late 30s, and even for the wiser crowd among us. (laughs) Since I had already interviewed Araminta Robertson in one of the first podcast episodes about managing money in your 20s, I thought it would be a great idea to have Becky as well present her perspectives on managing money in your 20s. Becky started her career with a high focus on reaching FIRE, financial independence, retire early, by the age of 35. But after five years, she has redefined her goals and is now looking into semi-retirement instead. And this indeed is definitely different than going into your career with the focus on building career capital, building skills, a portfolio and a network. Araminta's approach actually. But on the other hand, they both also share similar stances and approaches to each their financial and actually life goals. In short, we will discuss how to land promotions at your job every single year, how Becky intends to apply lifestyle design concepts to switch from her initial FIRE goal to semi-retired slow FI financial independence lifestyle, and we also share thoughts on her inspiring article, There is no better time than now. This episode is for you if you are looking at increasing your salary at your current job, but do not know how and where to start. It is also for those of you eager to hear more about lifestyle design, what is it all about, and how Becky applies the concepts to her own life. And I know, we are talking to Becky who is in her mid-twenties, but this episode is absolutely for many of us older folks as well. You will enjoy it, trust me. And without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello Becky, how are you doing today? Hi, good. How are you? I'm fantastic and uh, nice to talk to you on a Friday evening before heading for the weekend here. And uh, yeah, Becky and I, we met at FinCon. Becky is a 20-something and she's dynamic, energetic, and I wanted to have her. She was the right fit for this show uh, as well because I already talked to Araminta Robertson if you, in one of my first episodes. She's also a 20-something and she gave her perspective on how to manage your money and start investing, etc., in your early 20s, when you start to make money, actually. And as well, since I met Becky, I wanted to hear her version of how to start managing your um, money in your 20s. So just to have different perspectives on the show. So, Becky, do you know Araminta as well? or um... No, we haven't met, actually. Ah, okay, okay. But the thing is, yeah, she has a, probably a different approach than yours. We will talk about that later maybe, but at least uh, your approach seemed to me more energetic, more like um, make more money faster, while Araminta was focused on the long-term, building skills, building, building a career, building connections, not necessarily making money today so fast. Her point was that you will be able to make money as you go along, building connection networks, etc., will help you make money in the long run, and you will make enough. 
but you don't need to do the super hustle, work for jobs, etc., to to start your career because your skills are not there yet. Your experience is not there yet. And um, I was wondering, what is your opinion on this? Do you think that a young 20-year-old should start really focusing on making money money or should he work on building his skills first? Well, I wouldn't say that those two have to be mutually exclusive. So in my experience, uh, one of the reasons that I um, chose the career that I'm in is because it was high paying. So I'm a consultant right now. Um, and the the salary is quite a bit higher than uh, several other career paths that I could have chosen to take. Um, and that's one of the reasons is because I was initially on the path to what's what's colloquially called fire, um, financial independence, retire early. And I wanted to work between the ages of 22 when I graduated college to 35. Uh, and in that time period, scale my income such that I could save enough money to live off of the dividends from my investments for the rest of my life. Um, so that was a very small time window. A lot of people work between the ages of 22 and 65. So I was cutting that by 30 years, um, which necessitated having a higher income. So I will talk a little bit later about how my viewpoint on this has changed. So um, that was about five years ago when I graduated. Mm -hmm. uh, so now um, I'm still on part of that path. I'm on the financial independence part. Um, but in my past, you know, five years of my career, I looked very much towards increasing my salary as quickly as possible. Uh, I pursued um, very aggressively uh, to get a promotion every year. And so I've actually been able to increase my income um, significantly. I think I, I've increased my income 25% or something like that since I started at my this current company four years ago. Uh, so just being able to uh, be able to explain to my boss when I am going in for my annual review at my company, the way that we do it is we'll have a meeting and then um, they'll give you your raises and your promotions at that meeting. So in my way of pursuing a higher salary, I actually at the end of each calendar year um, would put together essentially a portfolio. It would be about a you know, a two page summary, um, you know, with maybe 10 pages of attachments um, to it that summarized all of my accomplishments, where I had spent time managing people, where I had made the company money, where I had saved the company money, different initiatives that I had started on my own um, without being asked, and highlighting the areas where I had gained skills, certifications, um, responsibility. And by putting that in a really easy format for my boss to see everything that I had done for the company, for my department. Um, it made it a lot easier for me to back up my ask for an increased salary every year. Um, and so typically our raises would happen in March. So I would give him this document around December, um, you know, or maybe early January. This is what happened last year. Um, let's have a meeting in January or February to talk about it. And then in that January or February meeting, I would ask for my race. I would say, I'm giving you this document. It has 
appendices that have emails from, you know, my boss and your boss and, you know, senior vice presidents of the company that are saying that I did valuable work on this project. Um, you know, people are seeing value in my contributions. So, yeah, I'd like to see that reflected in my compensation and my title. Um, and just by giving my boss a package that he could then give to his boss who mm -hmm. could then give it to HR. I gave him the tools to make asking to get me more money a lot easier. So my advice to anyone who wants to increase their income quickly is to make it as easy as possible for the person you're asking to give you what you want and be very clear about what your value is and be very clear about what you're asking for. I always knew where everyone else around me was uh, in terms of our title structure for the promotions. Um, I would point out that we would have a gap above me. So I'm in level one. There's a level two. There's no one in level two right now. And then there's a few people in level three, four, five. Um, and so I would bring a diagram that said, you can move me into this level and you won't have to promote anyone else. And then when I had to get another promotion, I said, well, now you might want to consider promoting, you know, the people on this level if if that's applicable. Um, and I'd like to be on this level with them. Um, so by making what I wanted very clear and by making my boss's job extremely easy, um, I was able to get several promotions um, in just a few years, uh, several title changes, increased responsibility. I went from a junior staff member um, fresh out of college to uh, now I supervise, you know, two to four people. I lead teams of up to 14 people. Um, I have managed half a million U.S. dollars. You know, it's um, something where typically I wouldn't have that level of responsibility at this stage in my career in this company at, at four years. Um, I would probably be closer to eight years where I would be reaching this level of responsibility. And so... Um, I just made it very clear that I wanted to accelerate in this direction and mm -hmm. I was able to move there. Wow, that's very impressive. And especially, so I made the calculation, so you're 27. Uh, <laughs> I'm 26 now, I'll be 27 in oh, July. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, but, but that's very impressive because, I mean, I understand exactly what you say. You basically, you sell yourself, you, you go with the results, you present the results that because if you go and ask for a promotion, yeah, hello, I would like a promotion. I did well. Yeah, okay, ciao. I mean, you will not <laughs> get it. But I mean, you come with a paper, you prepared. I mean, you you uh, you achieved goals and you come prepared with a paper, you prepared it. So then it's easier for them. You make it easier for them to to grant you this um, this promotion. So that that's fantastic. I, I'll just have one question. Since you're, uh, I mean, 26, you, you're quite young in your career. And, you know, I don't know many people that feel this confident at your age to go and ask for a raise like this. If I look at myself, I mean, it happened in my early 30s to uh, to go and ask for promotions like this and be prepared, be proactive and prepare my uh, backup to support my request. But, I mean, where does this drive come from? Because, okay, you, it seems like you started right away and 25% in the same company after five years. It's quite impressive. Usually you get that by job hopping. Yes. Um, so that's the other thing, actually, that I'd like to talk about is I, I think I had two motivations for starting. So the first uh, raise and promotion that I asked for was actually, I want to say, maybe 
nine or 10 months into my tenure at that company, um, just because of the way that uh, things fell on my, you know, based on my starting date. So I knew when I started working for this company that I didn't want to job hop after a year or two because I really liked working for my boss. Mm -hmm. And I had found a position with a level of flexibility that is essentially unheard of in my field. Um, I was able to work from home frequently. I didn't have anyone micromanaging me. And in the past, I have had bosses who were very strict micromanagers. And that's not a style that works for me. So I had a lot of freedom um, in this position, and I didn't want to lose that. There was a lot of trust in our team. Um, and so one of my motivations was I did want to stay with this company for, um, you know, I could see myself with the company for more than two years. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't necessarily going to just attain my promotion by leaving and going to another company. And then I think the other motivation was that I saw that I had this short time frame. So, you know, it was about 13 years. I was planning to have a 13-year career in um, consulting or in at least in, in my field, uh, maybe not in the particular brand of work that I was doing. And I saw that if if I were to start asking for raises when I, you know, got older, felt like I had more experience, say I had five years of experience in the field, and then I asked for raises and promotions, I would have been already a third of the way through my working career. Correct. So for people in a standard working career, you know, they can start asking for their raises at 30, you know, 35, um, if they're planning to work till 65 and it would work out. But for me, my, my acceleration needed to be a lot faster and a lot earlier. Um, and I also was motivated by my student loans. Um, you know, this is something in the United States that yeah. is very, <laughs> Uh, very impactful for a lot of young people graduating college. Um, recently, I, like I said, I graduated about, um, five years ago. And when I graduated, I had over a hundred thousand dollars in debt because I chose to go to a private university because university costs are extremely high. Um, and I took out loans when I, when I was 17 and 18 years old, I, I signed documents that said, yeah, it's at some point in the future, I'll have a hundred thousand dollars to give you for this education that I'm getting now. And so I really had a fire under me to get rid of that debt mm -hmm. immediately, yeah. uh, as quickly as possible. I was going to say just by increasing my income, I saw how um, how much faster, how much more exponential um, not only my debt payoff could be, but then my ability to take the extra income that I was earning and put it towards things like investing and saving mm -hmm. and moving forward instead of being kind of trapped in the, in the past, which was what my student loans represented to me. Yeah, I understand that. And before we actually, yeah, you touched already upon um, saving and investing. But before that, I have an, I have a question because, you know, a few weeks ago, I had an episode on fire. So financial independence, retire early with the dragons on fire. Lovely couple. Great episode, by the way. And, you know, they are in their early 40s and they basically dragon guy, guy, yeah, <laughs> he just mm -hmm. retired. So he in his early 40s and, you know, he he, he went up to a vice president level at his company, etc. And, okay, he had about almost um, 17 to 20 years experience. So, okay, now he's a bit tired of this and they want to change. They want to take it easier. And I can understand that because I'm in my late 30s myself and the corporate politics, the corporate ladder, blah, blah, blah. 
it gets uh, tiresome as well, and it's not my. St- it starts to get less and less my style. So working towards retirement, I mean early retirement for me or for them makes sense. But you started your career at twenty two, twenty three, and you're like, yeah, okay, I want to retire at thirty five. <laughs> I mean, this. Um, can you explain this um, this reasoning, or uh, you want to start and you want to get finished already? So please explain. <laughs> Yeah. So um, from when I was, you know, 21 or 22 years old, my perspective on this has actually changed. But what I've always really wanted to do is have an impact on the world. And I found that it's very challenging for me to do the things that I want to do that I think will have an impact. Um, You know, typically, if I wanted to use my work to have an impact, I'd be working for a nonprofit organization, maybe a non-governmental organization, um, which I did uh, do briefly after college. And unfortunately, the money isn't there. Um, The salaries are significantly lower and um, they're capped much earlier in your career. And there's very little opportunity for growth. And so what I decided was if I want to have this impact, um, I, what I need to do first is attain freedom for myself financially, mm-hmm. um, to get to the financial independence, the FI part of, of fire, uh, in order to be able to put on that financial oxygen mask first. And then after that, be able to then help other people put on, you know, their oxygen masks in, in the sense uh, that I wanted to be making that impact and helping other people, um, you know, and helping the planet. Um, so I felt like I couldn't pursue my passion because it wasn't financially viable, but if I could accelerate, I didn't want to wait until I retired at a standard age to, to do that. Mm -hmm. So if I accelerated my timeline, I would be able to make my greatest contribution to the world much earlier when I was younger and more vibrant and had more energy. Uh, and then I would have already had a lot of skills from the corporate world. And it was kind of a win-win where I could take, uh, I could learn on the job and I could take what I had learned and then apply it to, you know, situations where I would be making an impact, but maybe not getting paid at all or not getting paid very much for that. I would have the freedom to make choices based on, purpose and meaningful contribution and impact instead of choices based on salary and title and status. Now, very good, because, you know, at a young age, I mean, often, you know, you come from the the university, your high school, whatever, and, you know, you want to, you enter the workforce and basically, I mean, at least for me and many others, but I speak for myself now, you know, you want to enter and you want to impress your boss. You want to, you want to get a higher salary, get promoted, etc. It, it, it's logic. I mean, in the first years of my career, for example, I was looking at making promotions and try to be a team leader, etc. It was good. I learned a lot of valuable skills, but my yeah, motivation was a bit status, etc. And now, you know, since a few years, you know, I don't care anymore about status, but I still want to do, I want to have a good impact either on the bottom line of my company and a bit like you, as you say, like, okay, I want to do something good for this world. I have something to contribute to. I mean, for me, for example, it's my blog and my podcast. I want to help people with their finances, getting, managing this part of their life to be, to live a happier life. That's the goal of the, of the blog and the podcast. And, and yeah, what is it for you actually? Do you, do you have a specific, um, do you have a specific mission? Do you have a specific 
target that you want to reach uh, when you say an impact in the world? Is there a charity that you want to work for or something? Um, so I'm particularly interested in the areas of environmental impact, mm -hmm. um, environmental sustainability, as well as uh, women's rights and, um, you know, development of, of resources for women. So I want to, and I am able to make certain impacts in those areas now, and I do my best to do that. But I think my highest contribution is uh, really going to come when I can focus all of my energy on it. Um, as I found with having this blog on the side, for example, yeah. uh, my career takes a significant proportion of my time and I have relatively little energy, um, you know, at the end of the day to work on the blog or to, um, volunteer my time, for example, as I do when I wake up in the morning and then I go spend, you know, eight to 10 hours giving that energy and that time to my employer. So one of the ways that my perspective has actually changed on fire is I realized that I don't have to view it as all or nothing. Um, I thought that if I just stuck it out for, you know, the 13 years and I reached fire at 35, I could then switch from being all about my career and making as much money as possible and then go and flip that around 180 degrees and go all about my impact and my contribution to the world. Now I'm finding um, that a spending that much energy and time in my career has led to burnout, um, and relative dissatisfaction, uh, with the way that my time is spent. Um, it doesn't feel aligned with my goals and my values. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually changed my plan, um, to be more resembling semi-retirement and self-employment, um, so I will not be necessarily reaching full financial independence at the age of 35 through a W-2 salary from a, uh, that, that's an American term, through a salary from a corporation, uh, for a from a company. Rather, I'm planning to actually start my own business, earn money from my business, be able to make an impact through my business rather than waiting another 10 years to do that. And, uh, also be able to grow my financial independence through that. It's going to take longer, most likely, than it would if I were to stay the course that I'm at. Um, but when you talk about financial upside, you actually have a lot higher of a chance. Um, if you manage to be successful in your business in the first uh, one to two years, that's when most businesses fail, uh, you actually have a much higher ceiling. It's essentially limitless with how much money you can make in a business that you own, as opposed to working for a company where they will, you know, limit your salary at a certain level and it will be essentially impossible to get money in excess of the amount that is usually invisible to you. That limit has has not typically been communicated to you. But in in my field, I would have to be a CEO if I wanted to make more than a quarter million dollars. But there are many, many companies um, that are, you know, have been started by entrepreneurs that make more than a quarter million dollars a year. And so I see the financial upside to starting a business as more of a slow um, growth in the beginning in, in terms of I'm taking, you know, a salary cut if I was to go start my own business. But then the upside is, is so much potentially higher um, than where I am right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And um, Becky, I don't know when you will end since you will kind of transition from fully employed to starting your business and uh, taking the slow FI way. But how do you intend to um, to get paid? I mean, f from 35 to 65 or to the end of your life, actually, where will the money come from? So you said you mentioned dividends. So is the way to um, fire, is it hard work, making money and investing in the stock markets or uh, what is your way? Yes. Yeah, so essentially what you just said there, um, there are many ways to pursue fire personally. I am a big fan of financial automation. I think it makes the most sense if you uh, have an understanding of human psychology and behavioral psychology. When it comes to managing money, doing less is better. If you can set things up where your money is automatically funneled from your income into your savings to your investment accounts, um, If I, I am a big proponent of index funds, if you use uh, index funds, you know, and you're able to maybe automatically rebalance your investments and you have, a, you know, a level of, of tolerance that you've figured out, you've applied that to your investments and where they're saved, then you don't have to touch the money. Um, make decisions about it, when to pull it out, is the stock market crashing, is the mm -hmm. stock market going up. The behavioral psychology will make you lose every time if you're spending time on managing your money. If you're not spending time on managing your money, you're actually doing yourself a favor, in my opinion. Um, I find that Paying yourself first is a concept that's really effective. Um, not only, you know, I, I like to personally be very lazy about my money. I want all of my <laughs> money to automatically, it comes in and it gets distributed automatically to, uh, for me, it's about eight different accounts. I have um, investment accounts. I have uh, sub-savings accounts. So f I actually have earmarked buckets for each particular large item that I'm saving for. Um, you know, I have a travel savings account. I have a house savings account. I have, I will have a wedding savings account, things that are going to be, uh, worth a, a lot of money that I'm going to need to save a significant amount of money for each have their own bucket that the money goes in. So you, uh, automate every month, you get your paycheck or whatever your income, and then a portion of it goes to your saving account, once to your wedding account, etc. automatically. Exactly. And it goes into my investments automatically. Mm -hmm. I uh, have a portion that's taken out. Um, I have investments through my employer. They take that and it's automatically invested. Um, I have investments that go into what's called a health savings account. Um, that's automatically invested. And then I have my index funds, um, which is, you know, my own personal investments. And I've just reached in the in the fund that I want to purchase. Uh, I use a company called Vanguard, and they have a minimum of three thousand dollars. I was buying ETFs, which mm -hmm. is uh, you can essentially buy an ETF of of almost any mutual fund, but they have lower uh, entry limits, so you don't need to have the three thousand dollars. So I wanted to buy a new fund. I started the ETF. I just surpassed three thousand dollars, so I'm going to purchase the mutual fund. Now the benefit of owning that mutual fund is I don't need to go into my account once a month 
and purchase the ETF anymore. It will automatically invest the money that comes in into that mutual, into more shares of that mutual fund every month. And I don't have to look at it. I don't have to press any buttons. I don't have to go in and see if my share price has changed, if it's gone up or if it's gone down. And for me, I'm playing a long-term game. I am, I'm 26 right now. Um, in, <laughs> in very, you know, optimistic terms, I have at least 75 years left of my life, which means I don't need to worry about what my money is doing on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis, on right now, a year-to-year -year basis. I just need to make sure that more money is going in and being invested because for me, everything is going to average out. I am not uh, planning to take my money out anytime soon. And so if I invest when the stock market is low, then I'm getting stocks on sale. If I invest when the stock market is high, then it's just balancing out when I invested when it's low. And I will I will average, um, you know, in an upward direction of growth, typically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is something... I interestingly enough talk a lot about at work. I mean, with my my direct colleagues, and you know, it's always about long term investing. Yeah, do you even today at lunch? I can tell you, like, yeah, I want to start playing in the in the stock markets. So I'm like, don't say play, say you invest <laughs> and keep. Uh, I mean, we were talking about stock pickings, and I said no, no. But the attitude or the philosophy you should have is to buy a stock that you are comfortable with within 15, 20 years and not necessarily buy a stock that is, uh, that is the hype now, you know, like uh, for fun, we were talking about <laughs> cannabis, cannabis stocks or, uh, you know, uh, fancy companies or, um, I mean, like tech companies, robotics, whatever. I mean, this can be great investments, huh? please. If you know the fundamentals and you, you're convinced it will make you money, please do with a, it's just a high risk, but yeah, the, I like the philosophy of setting it and forgetting it. Put your money in index funds or mutual fund. Let it grow in the in the in the background and live your life. That that's uh, how you do it. And the question for you, since you're a millennial, <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, real estate or owning your own apartment? Do you are you saving for your uh, your home or not? So uh, I am not going to invest in real estate anytime soon. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons is because uh, typically that requires a mortgage, which is in the United States and especially in the region that I live, typically over six figures of debt, which I just worked on getting out of and <laughs> don't want to get back into anytime soon. So I don't have a very high debt tolerance. Um, I One of the reasons is because I focus very strongly on freedom. That's why my blog is called 20 free. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I write a lot about freedom and I talk a lot about freedom. And one of the barriers to freedom, in my opinion, is having anything that requires you to earn a certain amount of money every month. So that could be a debt payment, a debt repayment that must be paid. That could be a high standard of living that costs a lot of money. Um, Whatever it is that is a barrier to you being able to leave a job, leave a relationship, go somewhere new, take a trip, take a chance, you know, pursue an opportunity that sounds perfect. Um, I think those things should be avoided if your main goal is freedom. And for me, my main goal is freedom. That's why mortgages uh, don't work for me. I, I have a, a housing plans, a little non-traditional, if you want to talk about that. <laughs> 
No, I will not. Uh, it's just you know, it's often the a question that is posed, you know, when with the millennials, etc. So I wanted to ask your opinion on that. And for me, I mean, my first apartment was great because I bought it when I was 29. I even went to Paris in 2016, and it was not a burden as such because I rented it out. So it was it was quite good. So it it didn't block me from from going away. So, um, but it's all in the nuances and in the particular situation because this worked for me, but let's say I had kids or I was married, this maybe was a blocking point. So uh, it really depends and it's really about what your lifestyle choices are, etc. And I don't know, since you're, uh, since you're still young, um, maybe you will move uh, locations as well. I don't know what you will uh, do if you plan to... Do you plan to move out of your city right now or um, in a few years? Do you see yourself living somewhere else? Yes, actually, um, I've moved a lot throughout my life. And one of my goals uh, in you know finding my own freedom is to be location independent. Mm-hmm. And my, my vision for my future is that I would have a home base to go back to. I, I wouldn't be entirely nomadic. Uh, but I would be able to work from anywhere, which is where, you know, having my own business is an important key. And I would be able to travel in a conscious way and visit the many, many places in the world that I want to see, um, spend time living there like a local, learn the language, experience the culture. Uh, and so my my goal is actually to not tie myself to a certain location. And, and in that sense, real estate for a personal living situation doesn't make too much sense unless I wanted to become a landlord. Um, and real estate investing, in my opinion, co- takes too much time, has too much risk, and uh, is just something that I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I, I want to be a lazy investor. I want my money <laughs> to automatically go directly into account. I don't have to think about it. I don't own any roofs or toilets or need to call a contractor uh, or a handyman or a property manager or fill a vacant tenancy. Um, those are concerns and uh, things that I would have to spend my time on with real estate that don't interest me right now. Uh, I certainly could see in the future real estate being an option, but that's most likely about 10 to 20 years down the road. So I never say never, but it's not for me at the moment. Yeah, at the moment, you value your flexibility, etc. I mean, I, I really understand it. That's uh, that's fine. And actually, talking about real estate, on your blog, you... Um, you tell a funny story about the time is now. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about the guy you met at the gas station? Yeah. So I was talking with the gas station attendant, the guy who comes out and pumps the gas into your car. And I talked to him. I mean, I've probably talked to him twice a week for the last four years because there's a gas station right next to where I work. And he said to me, yeah, I'm thinking about moving down to Florida you know, and I'm like, why don't you, you know, why not? Uh, I had just finished listening to a podcast episode where the main message that the person talked about was, you know, now is the time when you think about taking a risk or, uh, making a change, do it now, you know, something that's finite in our lives. It's a non-renewable resource is time. We can't get any more of it. So I kind of, parroted that advice to um this guy that i was talking to and i said why not why you know move down to florida what's stopping you and he said 
you know, not really much. I actually, <laughs> I own several rental properties. You know, I got out of the jewelry business. I could just sell those properties and move down to Florida. I only work at this gas station for the health benefits. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised. Yeah. Uh, I had assumed that it was his um, primary job, that the reason that he worked at the gas station was for the income. And it was very clear, and especially in the conversations we've had since then, that uh, he's actually a financially independent individual who works at a gas station, my guess is to talk to people because he's very <laughs> friendly and and how many people actually have conversations with their gas station attendants and also to have, you know, his health insurance covered, which is another issue in the United States yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it, with the, the costs of things like that. And he's, he's an older gentleman, um, you know, and, and so I was just telling him, if you have that ability, you are free to make whatever choice you want. If you have that financial freedom, you can sell those properties or if you can, you know, cash flow them and that would cover your expenses. I'm sure they have gas stations down in Florida or <laughs> yeah, you, you can, can find yeah, another part-time job that would give you benefits. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of interesting to think that the people who pull into that gas station and this guy fills up their Lexus or their Mercedes or their BMW, those people have most likely rented or leased or, or have a payment on that car. And they probably are beholden to their positions at their companies because they need to make payments on a house and on a car. And the guy who's pumping their gas is completely financially independent and could up and leave and move wherever he wanted uh, at, at any time. Yeah, that, that's a really funny story because I really like that. I mean, I haven't met any gas station attendant that was financially free, but it's just fun. The guy is just there. And, you know, I don't know how it is in the U.S. I think people are quite friendly, but I guess it's similar than here that people could look at him like a bit um, in an arrogant way. Like, hey, yeah, please, uh, pump my, I mean, put gas in my car, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, like a bit, um, how can you say, condescendant, uh, like... Like condescending condescending yeah. yeah okay it's the same word condescending at him and then um the guy's actually financially free and you uh you need to 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 have gas in your car to go to your corporate jobs which stresses you out so it's kind of the yeah it's really funny i really liked that article for that because it's you can never judge by someone's uh job someone's outfit who he is and that's that's funny because somebody might have nice clothes and actually be stressed by depth or not, but you know, you never know. Right. And I think that's a really great lesson in judging, you know, anybody's net worth by what they look like. Yeah. Because most people who may outwardly appear to have a lot of money could be financing almost everything um, and maybe not own very much or have very much savings or have a negative net worth. And then people who look like they don't have much at all, they might work a part-time job. Maybe they're already, you know, semi-retired or fully retired. Um, they might drive a 15-year-old car. My car is 16 years old and it does not look good. <laughs> <laughs> it It is on the verge of being embarrassing, but I don't really, I'm not a car person, so it just gets me places. So I don't feel embarrassment for it. Uh, I just, I think that it's really funny when I see a coworker who pulls in and they have a new car and I know that they make approximately the same amount of money as me, which means that this car 
probably was about half of their salary for the year. Um, and you know, they're, they're very happy about this new purchase. And for me, I'm thinking I saved that amount of money and that's going to cut my working time by three years, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it's, it's just a matter of, uh, perspective. Cause a lot of people don't show outwardly how much money they have. Yeah, absolutely. And Becky, I just have a question. So you're in your 20s. Okay, your goal is to retire early, but maybe there are people your age or in their early 20s, they found a job that they really enjoy and they really want to do it for many years. Do you have any financial advice for them as well? Let's say you are a, an engineer and you want to build stuff, you want to build cars, you want to work at Tesla, you want to work at some other companies or at BMW, you want to design, whatever. And there's a path there for you. And those guys are really passionate about cars. This is just an example, but it's people that they won't, they don't mind being in the workforce. Do you have any advice for them financially then? Absolutely. I think that everyone, no matter how long they want to work or how short they want to work, mm -hmm. uh, can benefit from the really basic financial advice that is save money as early in your life as you can invest as early as you can because compound interest is a force yeah. <laughs> in itself um and make sure that you're not inflating your lifestyle uh to match your salary i think there's a balance between saving and earning more and i see earning as having a much higher limit if not an you know an infinite capability to, to earn whatever amount of money that you want. Um, but saving does have a, a limit to it. You can, you really do need to spend some money to live. And so reduce your expenses to a level that makes you comfortable and then spend the money that you are spending on things that align with your values and with things that align with your goals. That can be hard to do if you don't have explicit values or goals. And so um, I advocate a lot for something called goals-based spending, which means that you give yourself the permission to spend money um, instead of maybe giving yourself guilt about spending money, mm -hmm. which uh, is, is what I see a lot when we have a culture that talks about budgeting, which feels um, very much like reprimanding ourselves for using our money for things that make us happy. Um, and I prefer to think of it as uh, planning. Uh, I call it a spending plan and I use one personally. I advocate for it on my blog. And that is a plan where you say, I am going to spend money on this. I'm going to spend money on this. I give myself permission to spend this many thousands of dollars on travel this year because it's a priority for me. It's a goal for me. It's something that makes me you know, happy. And I understand how it fits into my, not only my finances, but into my lifestyle. Um, lifestyle design is a really important consideration to have when, you know, you're, you're young at any age, but when you're young and you're looking forward to another, you know, 50 years in the workforce or another 75 years on earth, um, it's important to make sure that you're getting things out of your life that matter to you and not things that matter to other people or, um, you know, external markers of status that don't necessarily make you happy. Yeah, so correct. Mm -hmm. 
I'm a proponent for lifestyle design. Um, decide what you want out of your life. Decide how that fits into your finances. Make a spending plan and give yourself permission to spend in alignment with your goals and your values. And I think if you if you couple that mindset around money, um, where you're not limiting yourself with your money, but you're using it as a tool to create and design a life that you love, you'll feel a lot more free. Um, you won't feel so fearful about money, um, but you'll also be able to put yourself in a much more powerful financial situation. You'll be able to save more. You'll be able to invest more. Um, you know, it, you, you'll only be spending on things that matter instead of things that would be wasteful by your definition. And, and that can be very powerful uh, when you're young. I really love what you just said there, Becky, and it's a philosophy I share. And Becky, I will um, challenge you on the same thing that you wrote about in the article. So let's say I give you a huge, gigantic billboard to spread your message to the world. So it needs to be a short and compact message, powerful. What is your message? What would you write on that billboard? So this is something that Um, I don't know if I came across it or I came up with it and I want to put it on a t-shirt or on a billboard or on a sticker or something because mm -hmm. um, it really inspires me. And it's just four words. One life. Live it. Ah, awesome. That's it. You have one. You know, as far as we know, you gotta, you have to use it for as much meaning and contribution and value as you can. Um, you know, I, I, f I find that finances are relatively renewable. You can make as much money as you want, um, but time is very limited. And I think that if we focus on making our lives good lives, um, everything else will fall into place. And that doesn't mean spending extravagantly um, or anything like that, but it means valuing things that make sense to you mm -hmm. um, and not caring so much about what other people think and taking that one life that you have and really making it the best life that you can. Fantastic. And I think um, for next FinCon, you have your t-shirt already. I think I'm going to make them. Yeah, so. you should. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll make a couple extra and, and give them out. <laughs> <laughs> I want one. <laughs> Okay, excellent. Very, very cool, Becky. I really like your insight and your wisdom for for a yeah a twenty year old. I think it's very insightful. It's a different approach than Araminta, so I recommend the listeners to to also listen to that episode. But it's still it's kind of aligned in a way. It's focusing on goals, long term, etc. So it's just a different take on things, and I really enjoy it. And because okay, like your T shirt. Your banner, I, I love it. You know, like uh, I want to, I want to have that T-shirt. So make me one, please book it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Becky, so this was very valuable. Thank you so much for sharing your um, your time and uh, yeah, giving your inputs to the show. It, it, it's really great. I really enjoyed your stories as well. And um, Becky, before we head off, I, there's always uh, three questions I ask my uh, yeah my guests. Uh, three quick fire questions. So number one. What has been your best investment so far? 
I would say investing in myself uh, and my personal development has been my best investment so far. I felt for a long time that I should learn everything by myself and I should um, use free resources rather than uh, paying an expert to teach me. And then I realized that if I learn from other people's mistakes and I find systems that have worked for someone else that work for me, um, if that's a mentorship program or uh, a coach or even buying books, mm -hmm. I actually spend a pretty significant money on audiobooks and um, and just ebooks that I read. It saves me so much time in making mistakes and going the wrong direction and having to turn back around and figure something else out. So being able to have different inputs of education by actually spending money on them has been a, a really uh, good investment for me. Yeah, excellent. I love that. And uh, my second quick fire question is actually about books. So what mm -hmm. is the best book you would recommend to anyone? And it does not need to be financial or personal finance, investing, etc. So I would recommend that everyone read The Four Hour Work Week by oh, yes. Tim Ferriss. Uh, this is actually the book. I read it when I was 14 <laughs> and uh, I decided that I was A, going to be an entrepreneur and B, going to have a job where I could work only four hours a week. And I think that really sparked my interest in FIRE once I came across the FIRE community and it changed my perspective on life entirely. So I would highly, highly recommend that book. Yeah, it's uh, really great. I read it actually three years ago, yeah, in 2016. And uh, I really loved it. I mean, it's, uh, you read it and you're like, yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, I don't know, it, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And uh, of course, it, it's also one of my top three books. So um, yeah, I really love it because it really says, uh, you know, you take the worst case scenarios. There are so many things and I've, I've had a review on it as well. I, I love it. So please go and buy it. Don't even spend time reading a review. Just go and buy it. it it's amazing. And I offered it as well to several friends. I, I love this book. So <laughs> yeah, I could go on and on huh? with Tim Ferriss mm -hmm. and the four hour, hours work week. So third question, uh, Becky, what is actually your best purchase for under a hundred dollars? Okay, so this is probably going to sound a little strange, but I am always cold. And so one thing that I really hate is my bathroom where I live right now doesn't have any heat in it. It's just kind of in the middle of the house. Mm -hmm. And so we bought this this fan, this like exhaust fan that does the normal, you know, exhausting of of the um you know, the the moisture from the shower and everything, but it also blows heat at the same time. <laughs> and this has changed my morning <laughs> experience entirely. Uh, I, I cannot recommend enough. If you have a cold bathroom, get a heater. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, it's, I, I give no instructions besides this question. So yeah, amazing. I love it. So if you have any issues in your bathroom, you know, buy a, how you call that? An exhauster? It's a, it's a heat, it's a heater fan. Heater fan. Okay. Yeah. So buy a heater fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good. So Becky, thank you so much. And um, where can people find more about you? Where can they get your tips and um, on travel hacking, on investing and spending money and on career tips? Yes. Yeah, so my blog is at 
20free.co. So that's F R E E dot C O. Um, and the letter t- or the word 20 spelled out. And you can find me on social media at 20freeco on every social media. That would be Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And actually, I'm releasing a podcast. The first episode will come out January 10th. It's called Find Your Freedom. And you can find that podcast anywhere that you listen to them. It'll be on iTunes um, and Apple Podcasts, of course. So if you're interested in finding your freedom, um, learning about money and life in your 20s, then then please find me there in January 2020. Yeah, I'll link it all up in the show notes and I'll update it when uh, your show is out so uh, the listeners can find you. Thank you, Jonathan. Okay, thank you, Becky. It was great. I really loved this uh, recording. And uh, yeah, speak to you soon. All right, talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed this episode with my friend Becky. I certainly enjoyed her drive, her energy and her passion. And it's something you will notice from her if you meet her in person like I did, but also in her blog. And I'm pretty sure it will shine through in her upcoming podcast as well. Anyway, before we head off, here are the key takeaways I've written down for you. So regarding promotions, I really liked Becky's approach. She tracks every accomplishment that saves money and or time to the company. And uh, that could be in the form of initiatives or exceptional results. So yeah, make sure you do that uh, every year before you meet your boss, your manager, HR, whoever in your company that decides on potential future uh, salary increases. That's an excellent uh, approach. And as well as an additional pro tip, uh, when you make such accomplishment that saves money or time, yeah, include it in your CV, in your list of accomplishments at Company X. Another interesting thing is that she said that she has taken initiatives without being asked, meaning that it was not part of her task list, but she accomplished tasks on the side, projects, certifications, etc., that would help the company grow further without being asked. And that's something is important. It shows proactivity, etc., and it helps the company to make money. And last but not least, be clear about your wish for promotion and make it easy for your manager and HR to accept that salary increase request. You can do that like Becky and prepare a package with all the relevant information, accomplishments, and all the backups and bring it at your yearly review, for example. A lesson that I extracted as well from this episode is that when you set strict deadlines for yourself, it will be easier or at least it will increase your focus to deliver results to achieve your goals faster. Becky set a deadline of reaching financial independence at 35 and that explains her drive for getting all these promotions. But as well here on the flip side, you don't want to push it too hard. I mean, you don't want to get burnt out at 25, 26. So find the right balance that works for you. And while we're on the subject, I really like the main reason. I mean, her main reason to pursue financial independence. She wants to have an impact on the world. And I really enjoyed the powerful image she used. She said, I want to become financially independent. Be able to put on the financial oxygen mask first and then help others put on their oxygen mask. Great image, Becky. I love it. And here are Becky's financial tips for us. Save and invest as early in your life as possible. Talking about investing, if you take a long-term approach, 30 years, 40, 50, 60, you don't need to worry about the day-to-day market movement. So take the long-term approach, set it and forget it. With regards to managing your money in general, she says, doing less is better, especially with investing. Automate and redistribute your money in buckets as much as you can and let your money work for you in the background, as I said earlier. 
Reduce your cost to a comfortable level and do not inflate your lifestyle as your salary grows. And last but not least, give yourself permission to spend as well. I mean, set up a spending plan and spend on the things that are aligned with your values and your goals. And do not focus on external markers of status. I really enjoyed her story as well with the gas station attendant. And we all know the expression, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. And in the case of that guy, it's true. You really can't assess a person's net worth or financial situations by this person's job, appearance or possessions. And last but not least, I will just end up with her quote. So Becky's message to the world, you have one life, live it. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.